So if you would, on this Easter morning, please turn to the Gospel according to Luke. We'll be looking at the Gospel according to Luke, verses 13 through 35. We're going to take a journey this morning on the road to Emmaus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, on that night before your crucifixion, you promised your disciples and through them all of us that you would send the Holy Spirit. And that's why any of us here at Sovereign Grace believe. And we are moment by moment desperate as Chris just prayed for your power to rise up. That, that in these next 30, 40 minutes you cause our hearts to burn within us as we see the scripture, hear the scripture, expounded. Oh, you are our only hope, Lord Jesus. For you did rise. And you're but the first. And thus is all of us Old or young or approaching death. Oh, you're everything to us. You're the treasure in the field. Oh, would you continue to do this work in your saints here in this church. And throughout all your churches in the world today. Oh, overcome the barrier of this coronavirus and not meeting together. But sitting in a bedroom or a kitchen table or a living room. Overcome it this morning with your people. And fill these millions of homes through the word of God being preached. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. And amen. Christianity is built upon the historical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Christianity proclaims that God acted to save sinners from the future coming judgment. That every single one of us have sinned and we lay under condemnation. But God sent His Son as He foretold hundreds and hundreds of years before throughout the Old Testament Scripture. And then sent him to suffer and to die and to rise on the third day in order to bring eternal salvation, eternal forgiveness, eternal life, the promise of the life of God in the future resurrection of sinners who have been purchased by Jesus who conquered death for us, and He will return. And whoever believes that message will be saved. That's the gospel. That, that's the meaning of the good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ. Now, how do we know that that's true? Great, great words. We Christians throughout the earth today are loving to say He is risen. He is risen indeed. How do we know? Here's the Bible answer. God sent witnesses. He sent 
Witnesses from Moses through all the Old Testament prophets proclaiming that resurrection. Proclaiming that he would send his son. Indeed, even David's son, according to the flesh. And that he would suffer and die for sins. And then rise from the dead. He sent those witnesses. And then Jesus came. And he suffered and died. And rose from the dead. And he picked eyewitnesses of his resurrection in order to testify that he truly has risen indeed. That's the Bible answer. And if you believe that, you will be saved. If you don't believe it, well, we're already, because of our sin, condemned. Now, flash forward 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus on that Passover week. 20 years way far away from Jerusalem to Athens, Greece. Or it could be 300 years later in Britain. Or it could be 1,987 years later today. Flash forward, there's the Apostle Paul preaching to these philosophers, these pagans in Athens in Acts 17, 30 to 31, and he says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Just contemplate what he just said. Every human being is now called to repent. And that this repentance, turning away from neglecting God to loving and worshiping Him, this repentance is crucial because, according to this text, God will judge the world through a human being, a man. And then the last words Paul said in that sermon was this. And of this, that he is coming, and there is a judgment, and he'll judge him through that man, Jesus. And of this, God has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. He's given assurance to everybody. Okay, you got to get this. He means to those Greeks in Athens, Greece, 20 years after Jesus rose from the dead. He means in Africa 300 years later, and he means in the South Bay area of Los Angeles 1,987 years Later, He's given us assurance of this by raising him from the dead. So, wait a minute. How does that work? I mean, I can see Mary. I've seen the Lord. Peter, John, Jesus' mom, his brother, later Paul. I haven't seen. And those words ring through Peter's pen. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you rejoice with a joy inexpressible filled with joy. I'm just going to say that experience. Hundreds of millions of us around the earth today. What I just quoted resonates precisely because what Paul is saying. Is true. God has given to them assurance.
So biblically, how does it work? How, how does Jesus' resurrection on that particular Sunday after Passover so long ago cause assurance in people today? Or 20 years over in Athens or Corinth? And the answer is God intended for the resurrection of Jesus to be known and believed through human witnesses. There were no iPhones, video cameras, photographs back then. Because God did not want them to come into existence at that point. He didn't want them around for Jesus' resurrection. God saw to it, though, that there were many witnesses of his post-death transform human body on many, many, many different occasions over a period of 40 days so that all of those who were chosen as eyewitnesses would be fully convinced that their experience there was undeniable about a very unnatural <laughs> encounter with the man and the teacher and the rabbi that they loved so much so that they'd be so convinced they would tell others and they'd write it down for us to read and that witness then will spread as 2,000 years of history have documented it will spread throughout the whole world as valid assurance that this really happened. We just read Paul in Athens. Now there's another eyewitness to his resurrection. Peter. And when he preached in the Gentile home, six to eight years after the resurrection in Acts 10, starting with verse 40, he said this. But God raised him Jesus, on the third day, and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. Us, I, Peter, and name many, many, many more, us who ate. And drank with him after he rose from the dead. God's design in saving people was not that the risen Lord Jesus would be seen by everyone throughout the ages. Not even two months later. Or six years later. Or today. It wasn't his plan. As Luke writes in Acts of the Apostles chapter 1 verse 3. And to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering. By many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, we, we know from the New Testament that even on one occasion where Jesus is most obviously teaching, 500 persons even at one time. But the core, the apostles, which the ones he personally chose, an apostle means to be sent out as his personal emissary, as witnesses, the core, the twelve, were to really bear witness and to tell it so that down through the years, a confused, depressed, 19-year-old kid would pick up their testimony in his living room in El Segundo and start to read of Christ's suffering, death, and his glorious resurrection. And his life would be forever changed, assured that this happened. It's a long intro. That's what we have in Luke. 
chapter 24. Luke grabs these testimonies and he grabs one particular one that we're going to look at. And so if you're there in Luke 24, we're going to begin at verse 13. But first, let's just lay, lay the backdrop up to this point of what Luke has given us. And that is this. Jesus was dead. Laid in a cave on Friday afternoon and then on early Sunday morning. Women who loved him so, his followers, they went to the tomb and the tomb was empty. And before they left, an angel appeared and said, he's not here. He has risen. And then they go back into town, into Jerusalem, to a place where a whole bunch of these disciples, the 11 and a whole bunch more, about 30 to 60 more disciples besides the 11, are hanging out, and they tell them what has happened. And for the most part, they don't believe. Who would? But Peter and John did run to the tomb. And they got there, and they looked in, and the body wasn't there, but they saw the wrappings of the grave clothes as if the body passed right through them because they're still lying there. And the face cloth and John believed. Okay, now here we are, verse 13. It's the same day. It's the Easter Sunday, and we read, That very day, that Sunday, two of them we're going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Okay, now, the whole group of Jesus' disciples, they're in despair, depressed. The whole world has come crashing down. And these are two of them, non-apostles. Look back at verse 9 for a second. When the women, and re, returning from the tomb, they, the women, told all of these things to the eleven apostles and to all the rest. These two are part of all the rest. One of them is named Cleopas. So they either live permanently or they are staying in Emmaus and they're walking back and they're overcome with grief their hopes of Jesus being the promised Messiah have been crushed they knew Jesus personally Jesus knows them personally they're disciples of his and then we pick up in verse 15 while they were talking and discussing together Jesus drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he, Jesus, said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they, just as we would have done if someone would have said that in that context, they stood still, looking sad. God had a plan. The Lord Jesus had a lesson to teach them, to teach all of us. It's no accident. This was going to be recorded for us. And because he had a particular lesson to teach these two disciples, and thus all of his disciples, Jesus in his immortal, transformed, resurrected body shows up alongside the road with them, and God acted. God caused them not to recognize, not yet that this was indeed the Lord Jesus. He prevented them from knowing that, recognizing him. Why? That's how you got to read the Bible. Why? I don't know a better option than this. 
because God didn't want them to recognize him yet. Okay, okay, why? I read the rest of the passage and the answer is clear. Because he wants this conversation to happen the way it does. He wants it to continue. He wants the greatest biblical exegete, interpreter, and teacher to masterfully expound the scriptures to them. Jesus wanted to teach the extremely important lesson about trusting the written scriptures. And he does all this before he opens their eyes. Or they realize that was Jesus. And so Jesus says to them on the road, pick it up. You know, what, what are you guys, what are you talking about? And they stopped walking and had very depressed, downcast face. And then one of them, who's named Cleopas, answered him. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in this day? These Okay, they're shocked because this is crazy. This is like us today. Here we are filming live on Facebook because we're in shelter in place. And you walk down the street to go buy some food over there. Of course, it's takeout. And you're talking with your spouse about the coronavirus. And someone says, what are you talking about? The coronavirus. What is that? Is there a human being on earth who doesn't know about the coronavirus? Okay. And so, Jesus said to them, <laughs> what coronavirus? What things? Clearly because he wants them to emote. He wants them to lay it out. What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priest and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's, it's now the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some women of our own company, our own group, they amazed us. They, they were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. They're depressed. They hoped. That their teacher, that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the one to redeem Israel. But they basically say to this stranger on the road, our hopes are dashed. Don't you know what's happened? All the dots were not connecting for them yet, even with the testimony of the women and about what the angel said. These two disciples did not allow the Bible to change their worldview. They didn't allow the scripture to change their understanding of the promised Messiah. Not yet. It would have been us too. They had no theological category. They could have had a biblical category, but they had no theological category for the truth of how God was actually saving. And so these guys, they let out their pain and their dejection and their d disappointment. And they're walking down the road. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted them to do. Jesus wanted them to feel it, emote it, talk about it with him. 
that's, that's an easy conclusion. Because if he didn't want that, then he wouldn't have prevented them from recognizing him. I just want you to be joyful off the bat. But he prevented them from recognizing him. And he prevented them because this conversation was crucial, necessary for them. And through them, to all of his disciples throughout the centuries. Verse 25. Here's Jesus' response. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones. Okay, that's an interpretation. If it's too harsh, maybe go some. Oh, foolish dudes. Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Messiah, the Christ, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses... And all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This interjection, oh, foolish ones, is purposely emotional to show his disappointment in the foolish failure of these two guys to read the Bible carefully and to believe it. See, at this point, they don't know this is Jesus. It's just a stranger to them. But all of a sudden, they've become all ears with this guy. Now, you see, they certainly believe the prophets. Of course we believe the Bible. But they didn't really believe all the prophets and all that they have said. That's what Jesus is disappointed in. That's what his rebuke is about. Notice the word again, all. In verse 25, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Much like us, they read the scripture, memorized scripture, quote scripture, had favorite passages of scripture, believe the scripture like us, selectively. Oh, they believed in the Messiah coming. They loved that part and that he would rule and reign as God has promised in the scriptures. On David's throne, conquer the enemies. All of this is scripture. They believed that part, but they ignored the passages that prophesied the Messiah's sufferings. Much like many of us or probably all of us are doing it right now, we don't even know where, but we're so tempted as Christians to constantly do the same thing. Yes, we believe the Bible. Then we read that, that, that the Scripture tells us that God sovereignly and with no help of ours creates faith that saves inside of us. We, we read that new birth produces saving faith, and faith in Jesus does not cause new birth. We read about the, the depths of our sin nature, and that we are children of God's holy wrath. We, we read of God's divine election. And like them, we say, well, no, no. 
That can't really mean what it says. And so we leave that behind and we gravitate to those. We all agree on this one. Yes, Jesus rose. Thank God we agree on that as Christians. He rose from the dead. He, he, he's triumphant. We love this. He reigns. We love it selectively. But Jesus here calls them foolish people. Slow of heart. To believe all the Bible. And so Jesus starts with Genesis and moves his way through all the scriptures, pointing out through the stream of scripture how once and again and again it was constantly proclaiming and pointing to himself. Now, I loved my hermeneutics class under Dr. Fuller, but <laughs> this must have been extraordinary. The living Word of God Himself, incarnate, resurrected. Stuck to the written word of God and explained it. He brought out the meaning that was already there on the page. That's the lesson. He wants to teach them and us. No wonder that same man, before he was killed, said in that story he told. Send! Send Lazarus! My brothers will believe if he comes back from the dead. Jesus said, no, they won't. If they don't believe Moses and the prophets, neither will they believe as someone rises from the dead. So John, the Apostle John, throughout his, throughout his gospel, he's constantly making it crystal clear how Jesus' life and ministry were fulfillments of the Old Testament. As Jesus said here, he taught these guys, now walking on the road, scripture after scripture after scripture, do you see it now? Is there all along? See what's happened these last few days? They're all on. And early on in John 5, Jesus said this. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, the scriptures, that bear witness of me. And yet you refuse to come to me in order that you may have life. That same conviction that, that the Old Testament scriptures as a whole were about Jesus of Nazareth is what drove the Apostle Paul constantly in his ministry, in his preaching, and in his teaching. Or as we saw a few weeks ago when he was before King Agrippa, he said it this way in Acts 26. I stand here testifying. Now, He's testifying about his own eyewitness account of Jesus' resurrection. That's not written in Scripture, Old Testament. That's what he's testifying to. But he says this, I stand here testifying both to small and to great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come. That the Christ must suffer. And that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And when Philip encountered the Ethiopian eunuch, and remember the eunuch, he's, he's reading Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 to 8. We know exactly where he's reading. And then he says to Philip, can you tell me who this is speaking of? Then Philip opened his mouth 
And beginning with this scripture, not ending there, he went to more and more scriptures. Who knows how long he was there? But beginning with Isaiah 53, he told him the good news about Jesus. And then Peter preaching in Cornelius' house, he says, And Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So here's Jesus. Just go and do the written word of God. Showing them. None of this should have been a surprise. It's all there before I ever came. It must have really been something, though, for these guys to hear the risen Lord Jesus, though they didn't know it at this moment or for those that hour or two, but to hear him explain all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus' main thrust was to show them that the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, were clear. That it was necessary for the Christ, for the Messiah, to suffer the scourging, the ridicule, the crucifixion, before he would reign. In glory. First century Jews, they latched on to the second part. The promise of the glorious, triumphant reign of the Messiah. But they failed to take into account that the redemption of God's people was going to happen through that same Messiah becoming the Lamb of God, pictured in the Old Testament sacrificial system. But think about these two brothers, man, for years to come, Cleopas, and why doesn't Luke give the other guy's name? I don't know. But they would be looking back, remembering how Jesus turned, quoted Genesis 3.15 and said to them, do you see? Do you see what happened a few days ago? Do you see that the crucifixion and the death was the way that he crushed Satan's head for the Messiah was born of a woman? Or how Jesus pointed them to the ram that was caught in the thicket of the fence and said, do you see how that ram was substituted in order to let Isaac go free? Or how he took him to the Passover in Exodus and the blood that is to be put on the doorpost and said, do you see how it points to God's true Passover in his Messiah Bloodied on the cross a few days ago. And then he goes on to the day of atonement and to the scapegoat and to the tabernacle and the sacrificial system and the high priesthood and on and on. Showing them how they were pictures, shadows and pointers to God's Christ. Who became a human being born of a woman to crush Satan's head. Maybe he, he unfolded the images in Scripture that clearly spoke of him like the bronze serpent or the manna from heaven. And he must have certainly gone to Isaiah 53, which is so crystal clear about his suffering and his death in verses 1 to 9. And then his resurrection in verses 10 to 12, where he again is satisfied and triumphs. 
Oh, he most certainly went to Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This whole thing is just crystal clear about what happened a few days earlier on the cross and his resurrection at the end. He quotes to them Psalm 2-7. Yahweh said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Or to Psalm 1-10, verse 1, David proclaims prophetically. Yahweh said to my Adonai, my master, my Lord. He said to him, sit at my right hand. That's Yahweh talking. Until I make your enemies your footstool. Certainly Jesus, as he began his whole summary, don't you understand that the Messiah had to suffer first before Psalm 110? And so he shows him that the way to glory of this Christ was through suffering and death, making atonement for others and then rising on the third day as he promised. And guys, you just told me as the angels said to the women. The more this stranger on the road opened up the Bible to them, the more their hearts burned. Raced. This stranger, he established for them that the suffering and the death of their friend and their teacher, the one they hoped to be the Messiah, he established for them that his death was no obstacle to him being the Messiah. But in fact, it made Jesus of Nazareth claim to be Messiah. All the more credible. The preached word. The expounded Bible. Melted. The confusion. The sadness. Of these guys. The Bible came alive to them. They were believing. The scriptures. Before they ever recognized that that was Jesus teaching them. Read on, verse 28. And they drew near to the village to which they were going. He, that's Jesus, acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, no, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. What a wonderful shock that that moment must have been and then forever buried into their experience for all eternity. <gasps> and then he was gone. And then listen to what they said. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures hmm. to be a believer. Part of what being a believer is, is to daily seek the burning of your heart as the scriptures are open, read, discussed, taught, sung, believe. 
dear fellow Christian. We must constantly yearn to hate coldness of heart toward the Bible. Hate it when you wander. Hate indifference while you're reading. And we have a helper, a comforter, the Holy Spirit. Please break through my sinful flesh. Help my heart be pricked and love what it's saying. And therefore help me think through what it's saying. Read on. And they rose that same hour, still Sunday. And they returned to Jerusalem. I bet they got there in less than two hours now. <laughs> and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they, the two, told what hap had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And so these two disciples, they get back to Jerusalem in overwhelming joy. And they're just itching to tell the apostles and all of the rest of the other disciples about what has happened. But as they arrived, they didn't get a word in. They started saying, Cleopas! And nameless guy. The Lord Jesus appeared to Peter. And they said, He's risen. And they go, We know. Let us tell you what just happened to us over the last few hours. And so by Sunday night, the apostles and all these other disciples, they're beginning to grasp the gravity of this wonderful reality. And that they have been chosen for something much better than the fellowship of the ring. This was becoming the fellowship of burning hearts of those who were being encountered by the resurrected Lord Jesus. And now continuing over the next 40 days. And we can't close there. We must read what comes next. And so they're all thrilled. <coughs> He's appeared to Peter and to these guys. Next verse. As they were talking about these things, Jesus stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, then he began to show him his hands and his feet. Let that go on for a little bit. And then... While they still, this is a strange phrase, while they still disbelieved for joy, I mean, there, there is that. We do it all the time, don't we? You got me what gift? I can't believe it. Well, yeah, you can, but it, okay, you're just, and you got to check five times whether you got that toy. They disbelieved for joy. I just love this. 
And they're marveling at him. Jesus says to them, hey guys, you got anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it before him. The fellowship of those who would be witnesses was being formed by the resurrected Lord Jesus. That is those who will testify for all people everywhere down through the centuries that this Jesus has been truly raised indeed. As the Apostle Paul would say 20 years later in Athens, God has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. And thus appointing particular chosen eyewitnesses. Jesus has risen indeed. And thus he is worthy. He is worthy of all blessing, honor, and glory. He indeed is worthy of this. Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you that you not only rose but ascended on high and you have poured out the Holy Spirit in order to go get those sinners who are yours and given to you of the Father. Us as sovereign grace as an example. We thank you. We thank you for the assurance by the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of the testimony of your eyewitnesses. You are truly worthy, O oh Lord. Be glorified. Amen.